take your Bible now and turn to Matthew and chapter number 14. And then also, if you would, find your place in John chapter number 6, Matthew and chapter number 14. And then just mark your Bible. I'm going to have you look at one verse in uh, John chapter number 6, Matthew chapter number 14. And, uh, and seriously, Miss, Miss Hannah truly just sang the message, and I'm not going to. I'm going to preach it. She sang it, I'll preach it. How's that? Uh, yeah, and we're not going to get that switched around. No, yeah, so I'm not going to sing it. She's not going to preach it. So anyways, it worked out just right. God's good, amen? God's good. Even in the storm, he's good. He's good, always good. Can't be otherwise. So in the course of preaching, we'll, we'll uh, look back at the context here. And so we'll just pick up our reading in verse number 22, but it, it's very directly connected. And that's the reason I have you mark in your Bible in John 6 as well. But here in Matthew 14, verse 22, it says, And straightway, straightway, right away, immediately, and straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples uh, constrained is a very strong word. Compelled. He compelled them, urged them. Um, when you read it, it almost doesn't seem like it. Why, why the sense of urgency? You know, why, why, are, why, is him, why is he hurrying them out of the feeding of the 5,000 is what just took place. Okay. So anyways, he constrained them to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. The wind was contrary. And then it says in verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. That's a weird time of the night. Does anybody else agree with that? I mean, it just, it's a weird time. Anyways, I'll get back to that later. The fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit. It's a ghost. (laughs) No doubt they've grown up hearing sailor stories, right? So that's the only thing they could come to. It's not a man, because a man can't do that. It's a ghost. It's a spirit. They cried out for fear. But straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Literally, it's be of of good cheer. I am. That's literally what he said. Be of good cheer. I am. I am that I am. Be of good cheer. I am. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, If it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Where in the world did he get that idea? But you got to love that. (laughs) Bid me come. Lord, if it's thee, bid me come. I want to walk with you. And he said, come. (laughs) 
And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me. <laughs> Notice verse 31. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hands. That means this Peter was within arm's reach. That means he came a ways on the water. He stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? But when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. All right, is everybody following that so far? When they came into the ship, the wind ceased. Notice the order of that. When they came into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they were in, then they that were in the ship came and what did they do? Worshipped him. Saying of a truth, thou art the son of God. Now the text goes on to say this, and we won't spend much time with it, but it is certainly connected and I'll just reference it and then we'll get into our message. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. Well, they made it to the other side. That's one thing we can rejoice in right there, right? They got them through the storm. <laughs> and when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out, they sent out into all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. If they could just touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. The title of the message again is this, Walk, Walk with the Lord Through the Storm. Walk on the water. Through the storm. May God bless the reading of his word. We've prayed. I ask you to be seated. Had just a little bit of extra time um, on Thursday morning and um, Pastor Burson Corley, uh, he knew that I enjoy horses. My dad and mom actually met riding horses and, um, and had horses once I got to be 14. They bought some saddle horses. And, and so that was kind of our family thing to do for a good number of years till I went to Bible college. And after I was in Bible college, dad sold the horses. Uh, but we rode together. We'd go sometimes camp and sometimes just ride, you know, from the house. But I love, I love being around horses, you know, and I don't have one now. My dad, I'm taking his word for it. He said, buy a horse and go broke. That's kind of how it goes. So I've avoided that <laughs> process. But, um, Anyways, Pastor Corley said, hey, would you, would you have time to maybe go on an hour and a half, two hour trail ride, you know? And, and so I took the time to do it and, and I'm glad that I did. And then he also uh, worked in the round pen. There's some things that I feel like God taught me there. So anyways, um, um, we were on this trail ride. And if you've ever been, I mean, I'm sure that you, you know, majority of you have been on a, on a horse and you've you did a little bit of trail ride. And I remember this very well. And I watched his horse. His horse wasn't as broke as mine. I was glad he had mercy uh, right there. But we came upon a stump and the stump, you know, was turned upside down. And so you had the jagged, gnarly roots of it, you know, kind of pointing out. And, and so that horse, if you, you've probably experienced this, that horse will look at it. You ever seen one do that? 
Sometimes it's a gate. Sometimes it's water. I know like when we were crossing creeks, that's how they, that's how they, I'm not dancing. I'm just showing you how the horse would go at it, you know, and, and that's exactly how this horse was doing. He, he, in his mind, he was thinking, what, what is that? And it, it had him just terrified uh, and, and wouldn't even go by it. And now brother Corley, you know, he knew what it was. He knew it was just a stump. There's, there's no, there's no reason to be afraid. But at that moment, whatever that was in front of that horse had its full attention. And, and in fact, it had his attention more than what the master had. I'm saying master, uh, we could say cowboy, we could say horseman, whatever, however you want to term it. But, but whatever that was, and by the way, really, that was harmless. Now, if it was a rattlesnake, I wouldn't, bl I wouldn't blame the horse, right? But actually, a horse has got to be so well broke, so well trained, that even if it's facing some of a, a situation like a rattlesnake, which is very common in, a, in Farmington, New Mexico, you know, desert land, uh, it's very common there. And in fact, Brother Corley said, now, if we see a snake, don't, don't, don't get alarmed. That's easy to say, right? Fortunately, we didn't see one. And, but, but anyways, uh, he had to work that horse past that. But for that horse to get through it, for that horse to get past it, he had to listen more to the master than his sense of fear. In our text today, the, the uh, disciples, some of them trained as men of the sea, fishermen. And yet they cried out. I remember when they were in the boat the last time. Remember, this, well, this is not the first time they've been in the boat with Jesus. Jesus was in the boat with them and he was asleep. And these trained sailors woke up the carpenter <laughs> to say, would you save us here? Right? So here they are again in, in a storm, which evidently means that storms come to our lives. And, and they were so terrified, and, and we'll get more into that in just a moment, that, but they were so terrified that the Bible says that they, that they cried out. When I looked that up, it literally means that they screamed. I want to say like little girls, but if I was in the same situation, I'd probably be doing exactly the same thing, wouldn't you? I mean, they shrieked. They screamed with terror. And, and of course, it's because they thought not only was it the storm that was producing that, but also the, the, the image of this, this uh, whatever it was that was getting closer and closer to them. And they thought it was a ghost, so they screamed. It, it's like this. They didn't know what it was. But they didn't know how to get around it. They didn't know how to get through it. I think in our lives, we come to many points in times like that, don't you? Where we're overwhelmed by what's going on in our life. And sometimes, you know, uh, you think, I don't, I don't know how to face that. I, I don't know how to deal with that. And listen, those are some real life situations, right? Those are some real life situations that, that, that we're looking at. I, in, even in riding there uh, on the plane, there's a young lady that I try to strike up a conversation. If I don't get to at the very beginning, I try to as we're landing and was able to strike up a conversation with this young lady that was from Albuquerque. She's a college age young lady. And we were just talking about life and, and she's maybe 20 something. And she said, you know, as I, I look at life, there's a lot of things about life that are really scary. That's what she said. She said, you know, when you think about it, I mean, this thing about growing up, it's kind of uh, overwhelming. <laughs> but here it is, the Lord tells them, be not afraid. Now, how could he say to them, be not afraid? 
And I, and I want, I want to say today, just whatever storm it is that you're going through, either you're, somebody said this, I think very well this way, either you are in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're about to go into another storm. It's life. You're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or about to go into another storm. The context here is following where the Lord fed the 5,000. He had heard about uh, the death of, of John the Baptist, the, and, and so the cruel death of John the Baptist. They went to the other side in the boat in order to get a, away and to have some time, I believe, to reflect. And when they went to the other side, people heard that they were there. And so they made their way to where Jesus was. And Jesus had compassion on the multitudes of 5,000 men let alone the wives and children and so forth. And so he fed them and the disciples were carrying home their to-go box uh, from that magnificent meal of five loaves and two fishes. And so each of them had a, had a meal to carry home. There were 12 of those that were left over. And so, but what it caught my eye when I came through this again, I saw the word that the Lord constrained them. He said, okay, we've, we've got to get out of here in a hurry. It, it comes back to my mind when I was in Sri Lanka with our missionary, uh, Brother Terry Unruh, and, and we were in a, in a certain place where there was a multitude of people. I mean, a, a vast sea of people. It was a holiday, so a lot of people were, were out, and we were passing out tracks. But, but when, it, when people started to crowd around, he said, okay, we've we got to get out of here right now. And, and I didn't understand exactly what was going on, but I trusted the missionary, that he understood what was taking place there, and, and we got out. Here's Jesus who constrains them and he's saying, listen, it's time to move. Could you please go to John chapter six here? I just want to point out what is going on and it does relate. I, I almost wanted to make the whole message about this, but it truly is not the main focus of the text, although it certainly will be a helpful side note uh, and a biblical side note at that. But look at John chapter number six and this is the same occasion that's going on. By the way, this miracle of Jesus walking to them on the water is recorded in all the gospels only the difference is, is that Matthew mentions about Peter walking on the water. That's the only one that's mentioned uh, that mentions about Peter walking on the water. But I want you to notice in John chapter number six and verse number 14, it says after the, you know, the feeding of the 5,000, that's mentioned in verse number 13, uh, how that they had over and above. Everybody with me? Okay, chapter, four, chapter 6 and verse 14, then those men, the, the men that had just enjoyed the meal, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, what does it say next? That prophet. Now that harkens all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter number 18, how that it was prophesied of old that there would come another prophet after Moses and he would be that prophet, capital P, prophet. So they're identifying that this is the fulfillment of that prophet. All right, now watch what they want to do then. In verse uh, number 15, it says, When Jesus perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king. Everybody see that? that he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And, and so then he sent the disciples in. So when you connect the dots here, here's what's going on. The people say, you're the prophet, you're the Messiah. We want to, well, or at least that prophet, they didn't say Messiah, but that's all involved in it. But they say, you're the prophet, we want to make you the king. And Jesus knew it wasn't time for him to be the king on the earth like that. 
And by the way, Jesus did not allow the whims of people to determine his mission or his timetable. He knew who he was. Another little side note here. If we get through all the side notes, we'll get to the message here. But these are good side notes right here, I'm telling you. Another little side note right here is that Jesus is not interested in just building a big crowd. He's interested in building disciples. In fact, if you let your eyes just go over, you may have lost uh, John like I did. No, I got it because uh, my hangy downy thing is right there. Um, in verse 26, when they wanted to do this, Jesus says, everybody looking at that, verse 26, ye seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. He says, listen, I know your motives. You're not really spiritually minded in this. You just want me to be king so I would feed you. Okay, so these were people, can I say it this way, that they were out of God's will. Now, here's what Jesus knew about the disciples. They had already been struggling about who's number one, who's the greatest disciple. And they were wanting Jesus to establish his kingdom right then, right there. Jesus knew, oh, listen to this. Jesus knew that it would be better for the disciples to be in the middle of a storm than in the center of their self-centeredness. And so he quickly removed them from that, even that temptation and put them in a storm because it's safer for you and it's safer for me to be even in a storm in the middle of God's will than it is to be in the center of your own selfishness. Does that make sense to you? Now, there's two different types of storms that come in our lives. There can be the storm of Jonah when you're out of God's will and God uses a storm to get your attention. Has God ever done that in your life? He uses a storm to get your attention. That's a corrective storm. But then there's a perfective storm, a perfecting storm. And that's more like what the disciples were in here is that Jesus knew, listen, they could get caught up in all this hype. They could get caught up in all this self-centeredness. And listen, folks, I believe Jesus knows us so well that he knows when we're about to give in to self-centeredness and thank God that along the way he sends a storm to get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes back on him. That's the connection that's going on here. That's why he constrained them to get into the boat. And so they're in the boat. Does everybody, does everybody get that? We'll move on. Amen. If anybody didn't get it, raise your hand. Okay, it looks like everybody got it or you just want to move on. So anyways, but it's a very important point because they're, they're not in this storm because they were in selfishness yet. They're in this storm because he knows that they're safer in God's will in the midst of a storm than they are in their own selfishness. So now they're in this storm. Think about this today. They've had a long day of ministry, feeding 5,000 people, being a waiter, going to all these people and serving everybody and then going back, serving everybody and going back. That'll wear you out. They've had a long day of ministry. And then he tells them to get in the boat and they get in the boat probably before it was dark. And it was probably just a, Normal day on the Sea of Galilee. Everything was calm. But as it is, you know, on the Sea of Galilee, oftentimes a storm can come out of nowhere because you've got the mountains that's surrounding it and a storm can just blow in there. I recall when my dad and I were fishing on Lake Barkley and how that a storm just seemed to come out of nowhere and we were literally hanging on to that log. Now, I could probably make it more dramatic than what it really was. But as a young teenager, I thought, good night, we're going to die right here. This is it. 
Me and my dad, we're going down, you know, but I'm hanging on to this log for dear life. I'm, it's, it's so bad, Brother Ted, but there, there's this, this barge that was trying to go under the bridge there at 6880 at, at Lake Barkley at, at the land between the lakes. And he was moving up and then he'd back up. He'd move up and then he'd back up because it was too dangerous for him to go under the bridge because the waves could really knock him into one of those pillars. That's how bad it was. But you'll be glad to know that we made it. Obviously. I've never been in a storm, though, like what probably they were in here. And, and how long, by the way, how long had they been rowing? Well, it looks like it looks like that they began before the day ended and then they rowed all night until it's three o'clock in the morning, at least six o'clock in the morning. They're wet. They're weary, they're tired, and they're afraid. They're being tossed. The word tossed means, literally, when I looked the word tossed up, it meant this, harassed. They're being harassed by these waves and tossed by these waves, plagued, uh, tormented. That's another word that I saw. They were being tormented by what was going on around them. And, and then the wind was contrary to them. They're trying to go from one side of the, of the Sea of Galilee to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And in fact, John even helps us out here to say that they'd gone about 25 to 30 furlongs in length away from the shore, rowing with all of their might against the headwind when it says that the, that the wind was contrary to them. It literally means that the headwind was blowing against them. So they've gone about, when you do the math on the 25 to 30 furlongs, then they've gone about 3.5 miles. They've gone about three and a half miles at the Sea of Galilee. And maybe they got blown off course here, but the Sea of Galilee at its widest point is seven miles across. So they literally are in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and it's too far to go back and they still got to go this way. They're right there in the middle of the storm. Does that make sense to you? And everything seems to be working against them and then it gets worse. So they think. Can you see them? John, row! Andrew, come on! I'm sorry, I just had a moment where I was in the storm. And they're being tossed around. And Peter says, whoa! Hey, what's that? That was Greek. <laughs> for I have no idea what that is, but it's coming our way. And they cried out for fear. Well, the Lord had been up there on the mountain. What do you think he was doing up there on the mountain? Well, the Bible tells us he was praying. What do you think he was praying? I think he was praying even for them. Hey, can I encourage you here this morning that God knows the storm that you're in. He knows that you're being tossed to and fro. He knows that it's even tormenting in your life. He knows that it's, that it's, that it's really bothering you and you're, it feels like you're going back and forth and it seems like there's no, no hope in sight and, and you've come so far, but it, you can't go back and it seems like you're not going to get there. Hey, God knows where you are, friend. And he comes to you in that storm. And today, maybe he just wants you to cry out to him. But I want you to be encouraged by this. He knows you and he's interceding for you. I'm telling you the word of God today that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf. He knows the storm that your family's in. He knows the storm that your marriage is in. He knows the storm that your finances is in. He knows the storm that you're in in parenting. He knows the storm that you're in at work. He knows the storm that you're in in that friendship. Are you listening to me today? I'm telling you, friend, listen. God knows the storm that you're in. And he cares that he came walking to them. And I love this part. I love the fact that what was causing them all this great concern was under his control. What do you mean under his control? Well, what was he doing? 
he was literally, let's say, please use your imagination. And the waves are going here. This is the sea. It's too calm on the platform to, anyways, we don't have special effects. Use your imagination that the sea is just boisterous. The, bo the boat is going, is everybody seeing it? Anybody, you feeling it? It's going back and forth, but here's Jesus walking. I don't think he's walking like, no. No, I, I realize, well, you're, you're speculating. I know who he is. And he's not staggering around there. He's walking calmly on what's giving them great grief. He's, <laughs> he's walking just, I mean, almost like, well, this is just an easy stroll in the park, we might say in our figure of speech. He's just walking on the water as though it's really no trouble to him. In fact, we could say it this way. It's all under his feet, friend. All those waves, as boisterous as they are, it's all just under his control. He knows where they are. And he knows what's going on. And it's just under his control. In fact, I, I looked up in my Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 that, that you know, and he, he will put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that, enemy that he defeats is death. I mean, of all the fears that you and I have, and, and I understand that. I mean, there's times when I think about it. Man, you know, I'm not going to live forever. I'm kind of getting older here, and I wonder what this is going to be like, you know, when it happens. But listen, I don't even have to fear death. If you know Jesus today, you don't even have to fear death, friend, because he already took the sting of death for you on the cross. He died for your transgressions. He died for your sin. He was buried and he rose again. And, and in fact, this mercy sakes alive. This goes all the way back. Where'd my handkerchief go? This goes all the way back to the book of Genesis where, the, where God said to the serpent that you will bruise, he will bruise your head and you'll bruise his heel. The only way you can do that is if you take your heel and you Put it on something like a snake's head. That's a good thing to do, by the way. And God prophesied that Messiah would do that and that he would crush the head of the serpent and would bruise his heel. That day on Calvary, his heel, so to speak, was bruised and his hands were, they drove those nails through his hands and he was bruised for our iniquities and he was wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, but it's by his stripes that we are healed and can have peace with God. And so that even when you face the greatest enemy you have in this life of death, that could separate you forever from God. He's already taken that on himself and you don't even have to fear death because it's, watch this, under his feet. Under his feet. Whatever it is today that's causing you any kind of concern, just understand this, it's under his feet. It's under his feet. That diagnosis that you have or that your spouse has or that your child has, hey, listen, I mean, we live in a fallen world. We got to understand that. The death of your spouse, the death of your child, the, the, the loss of a job, the, the change in health, the change in wealth, the change in our economy, the change in our world, the, all these things that are going on, it just feels like everything's out of control. But it's not out of his control. It's under his feet. And he comes to you walking on the water. And I love what Peter said. In fact, this passage was used in my call to preach because I began to sense that God was calling me to preach. And here's how I began to pray. Lord, if it's you, bid me come. It's another little sanctified side note, maybe. 
But I wanted to make sure that if I was going to get out of the boat to preach, I want to make sure it was him calling me and not my mama calling me or not some other preacher calling me. You know, I want to make sure it was God calling me before I got out of the boat. Which, by the way, I don't think we ought to criticize Peter. I don't think he was in sin in getting out of the boat. I've heard people even try to say that. Jesus didn't rebuke him. He just simply said, come. In fact, if anybody ought to be criticized, it ought to be the other 11. They're still in the boat. John Ortberg wrote the book called, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to First Get Out of the Boat. That's the title of the book. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Peter said, Lord, I'm yelling because it was the waves. Lord, if it's me, he's rocking back and forth. Jesus is just standing there. Lord, if it's me, bid me come. Jesus says, come. And he went down and got out of that boat. Watch this now. Peter, walking towards Jesus, focused on Jesus, was also walking on water. That storm was under his feet as long as his focus was on the master. But when he got his eyes on the waves, it's kind of like that horse, isn't it? Are you following the analogy? I'm mixing metaphors. I realize that, but Lord, save me. And I love it. I love it. I mean, Jesus didn't even hesitate immediately. He reached out his hand and grabbed him. I want to tell you today, you're safe in the Savior's hand. You're safe in His grip. You're safe in His hand today. He just reached out His hand. I commend Peter. Any chance we have an opportunity to commend Peter, I think we should. I commend him that he walked that far. And I don't know, you say, well, if it had been me, I'd got all the way. (laughs) He got that far and he said, Lord, save me. And he was going down, but before he did, the Lord grabbed him up. And then, then I love it. Then they together walked through the storm back to the boat. And once they got back in the boat, then it was calm. Calm. Just like that. What did they do in the midst of their storm? said, my Lord, my God, you're the son of God. And everything is under your control. If that was true then, is it true now? It's a simple message today. But whatever it is that's causing you concern is actually under his control. And what we've got to do is give more attention to the master than the storm itself. Keep your eyes on him, dear friend that's in the storm. mentioned Brother Corley, had me in that round pen working with the horse. He said, now here's what you do. And I started working with him, never done that. I don't have time to go into it. Well, it'd be another sermon. But after I'd worked with that horse for a little while and he began to follow me even without a lead line, here's what Brother Corley did. Now, you got to be ready for this. And he spooked that horse. 
But, that, but here's what, here is what was the awesome thing. That horse was actually locked in on me because I'd been working with him, had a hand on him. But even though he got spooked, he went right back to being calm because his focus was on the one that was working with him. Folks, look, it's inevitable. But when something happens with your kids or your grandkids or in your life in general or in your marriage and a list of other things, waves that just pound, it's inevitable that, that it's going to spook you. But what should you do? Just get your eyes right back on him. He's the one that's been working with you. He's the one that's had his hand in on your life. If you get your eyes focused on him, even though it may not be calm all around you, because once Jesus got his hand on Peter again and he was walking back with him, the waves were still going. The waves didn't stop till he got back in the boat. And, and you walking with Jesus, it may not end the storm right then, but you're walking with him and he's over it. Whatever it is that causes you concern is under his control. Let's stand together here this morning. I don't know today who's in a storm. I know some that are in a storm, and I can't even say as to why some are in a storm. I think it'd be right of you to ask yourself in analyzing this, is this a storm of correction? Have I been a Jonah? Or is this a storm of perfection? It was the Lord who told them to go and get in the boat and they were in the middle of God's will and yet the storm came. And you can be right in the center of God's will and a storm can come to your life. The main thing today, either way, is that you would get your eyes on the Savior. Father, help us now in this invitation. I pray for some that don't know you as Savior. They need to cry out for salvation, spiritual. And then those that God are in a storm in their life, I pray God that they would come and get their eyes on you. I, I know Lord, beyond a shadow of doubt in my heart and mind right now that you orchestrated all this. There's no question with the song and then with the message and with the events of this past week, God, you are demonstrating once again in our modern times that you are in control. I pray you give us help here in this invitation in Jesus name. Amen. Let's sing page 241. Jesus paid it all. If you're in a storm, why don't you come? Don't, don't tarry.